You know, uh, whenever we read the, um, this Haftorah portion, I always have to stop and say something about it. It's one of the most profound passages in the Tanakh about, in, in, from the point of view of the coming of the Messiah, okay? So I, uh, far be it from me to break that personal tradition, uh, and I just want to say a couple of things about that Ezekiel 36 passage. When you go home today, you need to go home and read it again, and read it slowly, uh, and pay attention to it, because it's saying a number of things, and I'm just going to, uh, this is not a message on it, although it may, and I, we'll see where it goes. But um, in, in the passage, I'm not going to point out everything, but it's sort of like Ezekiel's version of what Jeremiah uh, is uh, telling the Jewish people in Jeremiah chapter 31 about the new covenant, Right? So, but Ezekiel is sort of like breaking it down. Uh, he's uh, uh, discussing it. Now, first of the first thing you want to remember is that Ezekiel uh, was a prophet at the very, very end of the biblical history of the land of uh, Judah, and he's—I uh, like to call him the embedded prophet, because of you know we live in this world. Whenever there's uh, something that takes place. With all of our technology today, now you have all the uh, hotshot uh, uh, news people uh, that like to join right in with the, uh, they're in the truck, you know, or they're in the tank, uh, you know, doing their thing. And the embedded reporters, right? They're like on their, they're there going. Well, that was Ezekiel. He was uh, writing uh, on the way to Babylon, and in Babylon, uh, you know, as well, all right? So it's a bad time. It's a real bad time when he's writing. And he writes a lot about judging the sins of the people and articulating the terrible sins of the people, you know, and all of that. So chapter 36 is, um, you know, is uh, no different than that. You know, talking about all the, uh, the, uh, the sins of the, uh, that the, 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 of the people, but it also talks about what God is going to do. So what it says here, it uses the word profane over and over again. You've profaned me. You've profaned my holy name, which means basically dragging God's name through the mud. You know, dragging God's name through the mud by their sins, by their, by their demonstration of ungodliness. Uh, they're giving God a bad name, see? Uh, and so they've profaned his holy name. So uh, God is concerned about his holy name, right? So he says in verse 21, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel has profaned among the nations uh, where, they, uh, where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God. You know, the, so the, the very first thing you learn from this is that some people make a big deal out of, Is it Israel or is it Judah? Is it Israel or is it Judah? Well, you know what? The, the term Israel is used interchangeably throughout this passage uh, for all of the Jewish people. So if anyone should ever say to you something like, well, Jewish people today are from the tribe of Judah, uh, but uh, you know, there's the uh, other tribes, and uh, there is this erroneous, horrendously wrong teaching uh, that who, people who come to know the Messiah who are not Jewish are actually from the other... The, the ten lost tribes of, of Israel, okay? That is ridiculous, okay? I'm just telling you, it's ridiculous. 
Uh, and so if, if you hold that view and you're offended, well, God bless you then, okay? All right? Uh, okay, it's ridiculous. All right? Uh, and th- it's very interesting because the prophets use the term Israel interchangeably. Sometimes it's all the people. Sometimes it's just the northern kingdom. Sometimes it's even just the, 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 the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. Okay? So it is very interesting. So Israel here is all the people. And Ezekiel was in Judah and with the Judean people when he went into the captivity. And on top of it, uh, he's speaking to technically Judean people. Okay? So he's talking about Israel. <laughs> okay. Therefore says the house of Israel, that says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Okay. So that Israel thing, that's the first thing. The second thing is, it's not about them. And this is really very important for us every single day of our lives. When we come to know the Messiah, I know God has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? But the plan of God, you ready? I mean, this is just going to go against, so it's not so much about you, okay? It's about what God is doing in this world, about transforming this world, and we get to be a part of what he's doing. See, that is a very important perspective to have, okay? So, yes, God cares about you. Yes, God cares about your life. No doubt, of course he does. But oftentimes we think about the whole thing is about me, you know? But it isn't. We get to participate in what God is doing. And the the relationship of Israel to God is the perfect paradigm. Yes, God loves the people. Yes, God protects the people. Yes, God gives the people a land, a, a heritage, an inheritance. But it's not about them. It's about the glory of God and the testimony of God. See? And, and that's very much the way God interacts in, in our lives as well. So that's very important when he, says, when he says this. I will vindicate the holiness of my name. It is not for your sake that I am about to act. <laughs> what? <laughs> are you kidding me okay so that's a very important thing also that the the plan of god is about uh yes his uh, redemption of this world but uh for the glorification of his holy name all right okay that's the second thing the third thing is i uh, is i uh, and this is the part that is so marvelous when it comes to the uh, the new covenant so he says here in verse uh, 25, then I will, he's going to bring him back to the land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. By the way, he brings him back to the land and then at another, at later on, sprinkles clean water upon them. Very important in thinking about the Jewish people today. Okay. I will sprinkle, so it says in verse 24, I will take you from among the nations, gather you from all the lands, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I will put my spirit within you. Very interesting. He talks about, he talks about sprinkling them with water and placing his spirit within them. There is a very important passage in the New Covenant Scriptures where water and spirit are mentioned in a very important passage, right? It's in the Gospel of John in the third chapter 
when Yeshua is talking to a great teacher of Israel, right, uh, who is uh, Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, well, Nicodemus comes to him, right? And it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, just like Gamaliel, uh, Nicodemus is thinking there may be something to this, this Jewish leader. There may be something to this. Yeshua answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, literally, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Yeshua answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter uh, the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Then he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Yeshua answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Okay, that very important, even that last little part there. Because Yeshua had the expectation that Nicodemus should know what he's talking about. Now, how could Nicodemus know new revelation? You know, new revelation that had never been given. Uh, He he wouldn't know that. But he would know, or he's supposed to know, and Yeshua has the expectation that he knows what's in the Tanakh. And so, may I suggest that when Yeshua talks about water and the Spirit and being born of water and the Spirit, he is referring to Ezekiel chapter 36 because it describes the coming of the Messiah. It describes the indwelling of the Ruach, the indwelling of the Spirit, and being cleansed of God sprinkling clean water on them and, 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 and cleansing them. And this was inaugurated in the ministry of the Messiah, and we participate in it today, in this aspect of the new, uh, of the new uh, uh, covenant. See? Uh, and so uh, it's very interesting because if you read more in John 3, after verse 10... Now you have Yeshua giving like new teaching uh, about, uh, you know, the, the, about who he is and his death and so on and so forth, right? But up until verse 10 or 11, it's, you know, Nicodem- it's the story of Nicodemus and what Nicodemus uh, 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 should know. Very, very interesting. So I love to bring up that thing about uh, water and the spirit because there are so many so many ideas that people have about the, what the water and the spirit, about physical birth, spiritual birth, like born of water, physical birth, born of spirit, spiritual birth, right? I would suggest the water is cleansing. The, the, the water and the spirit is all about the new birth, uh, uh, just as uh, Ezekiel talks about. In fact, you know, there's a lot uh, in, in the Gospel of John, there's a lot of Ezekiel roaming around uh, in the, the Gospel of John, very much so. Just like, you know, like in the Gospel of Mark, Isaiah is playing, like, playing in the background, you know. Uh, in, uh, in John, you have a lot of Ezekiel, a lot of what's going on in Ezekiel playing in the background about the new covenant. Okay, there you go. So there's so much. Read it. It's marvelous what, um, 
what's going on in Ezekiel 36 about the new covenant, about cleansing. And isn't it amazing that that's the Torah portion for the Haft Torah portion for today, right? Uh, when you think about that passage, the, our Torah portion, and about the restoration of Israel being depicted in the actual building of the tabernacle, and then the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle at the very end of the, of the portion. And then in the Haftorah portion, about the cleansing of the, with the water and the Spirit, God is going to restore Israel. And by the way, by the way, the next chapter, chapter 37, is about the resurrection, describes, describes the outcome of the sprinkling of the water on them and the indwelling of the Spirit, because then you see Israel raised from the dead, Right? You have the resurrection of Israel. And, and so in chapter 36 and 37 of Ezekiel is very much about death and resurrection and cleansing and forgiveness, the, the ministry of the Messiah. Uh, very, 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 very much so. So it's great that that is our Haftorah portion uh, uh, for uh, today as well as we prepare for Passover. We need to be thinking about cleansing. We need to be thinking about not only where am I going to get matzah, you know, and uh, where am I going to get those, uh, you know, those uh, little uh, jelly candy things uh, that look like smiles? You know what I'm talking about, right? I used to love those things when I was a kid, all right? You know, where am I going to get those things? Uh, no, that's all, that's all well and good, but let us prepare our hearts so that when we come to the Seder, it has this meaning of of reassurance and of remembrance of our redemption uh, as we move forward, you know, uh, in our walk with the Lord. So, boy, that is Ezekiel 36. Love it. But today, we also want to go back to Breshit and look for a few moments at Genesis chapter 23 as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis. Okay. All right, because it also relates to preparing our heart, because we're going to make it relate. No. <laughs> no, it does. So this is a great passage. This is about the death of Sarah uh, uh, and uh, the, uh, the Torah portion that goes with this passage, not this week, but with this passage called Chaya Sarah, right? The, uh, the life of Sarah, but it's about the death of Sarah, right? Okay. Uh, so the, the first thing we learn about chapter 23 is that how important is Sarah that we have an entire chapter dedicated to getting a plot for her to be buried. Uh, and uh, that, that just in and of itself is very interesting. So it says, now Sarah lived 127 years. These are the years of the life of Sarah. Okay. Uh, now, uh, boy, there's, you know, you could even make a whole story out of 127 years, but that's, that's another story. Okay, so Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron or Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So I, I, I have to stop there and say that uh, that exists today, right? Hebron, it's in the West Bank, right? Uh, and Kiriath Arba uh, is a, a settlement right next to or just uh, down the road from uh, Hebron, where, as we speak, uh, Jason is right there uh, at Kiriath Arba. And uh, 
Uh, and so we're just praying that the settlers and the Palestinians, everybody behaves themselves, and, uh, and it's all good. Uh, all right, so there's a, an, an Israeli settlement there called Kiryat Arba, right? You know, down the street there from uh, Hebron. Okay, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So we see here, uh, clearly, Abraham uh, is mourning uh, the death of uh, Sarah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'll just pause there and say, uh, it's quite clear then that we have here a precedent from a godly man who loves the Lord, that when a loved one dies, uh, we don't live in denial of it, but that we weep and that we mourn. That is what Abraham did. He loved his wife, Sarah. She died, uh, and he was sad about it. It's very important for us uh, to, uh, to appreciate that and to recognize that. Sometimes, I, uh, for us, in our experience, when, first of all, when an older person passes away, I, it is... Um, it really is a privilege to be able to conduct a funeral because you get to speak about this person's life. And that's really a privilege, you know, and an honor, uh, uh, especially someone who's lived a, you know, a good long life and, and all that. And that does indeed happen. And, uh, and, and it is a, a privilege. But still, and even if they know the Lord, I, we might say, well, well, they're with the Lord and that's a comfort. Well, you know, it is a comfort, but it, it is a comfort, period. Next sentence. However, we still greatly miss them. And there's nothing wrong with missing people you love. It's not a lack of faith to cry and weep and, and miss for a really long time. Your mother or your father or a deceased spouse or, God forbid, a child or, uh, uh, or just a friend whom you have shared many memories with very important, you know, and it's important. And, and as we all know, if you, if you have a deceased parent, you know, when you come up to their birthday, it's, you know, like tomorrow's my mother's birthday. And so I've been thinking about it all week, you know, and, uh, and that's a good thing. No one can take away the, the memories, you know what I mean? No one can take away the, the relationship, see. So it's very, very important to, uh, to get that. You know, on another day, in another context, uh, we could also teach about the fact that if we have had a broken relationship with a deceased loved one, it's not too late to forgive, even after uh, a person is deceased. You know, that's very important. I'm not talking about, like, the spirit of Samuel coming up or something. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, I'm just talking about you can forgive when... Uh, after a person is deceased. It's not like now it's just lingering. You can't, you, you know, it's, but that's another story for a different day. But uh, it is important for us to uh, embrace sometimes the horror of death. Even when, and I use that phrase, I've used that a few times, thank the Lord sparingly, when you have a tragedy and someone dies very unexpectedly at a younger age, Right? Uh, I've used this phrase, sometimes we have to embrace the horror and not go around it or go over it or, or the worst phrase of all, 
get over it, right? You embrace it. And it's, it's in embracing it where ultimately healing uh, comes, see? Uh, and it becomes part of your life and part of your relationship. So uh, Abraham mourning and weeping for her, and using the two words together is very important here. It tells us here that Abraham really was grieving over the death of his beloved wife. Okay. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So the rest of the chapter is about this transaction that's going to take place, okay? about buying a plot of land for his wife and ultimately for his family. Okay? I notice he says, I am a stranger and a sojourner uh, among you. It's a very interesting phrase that, uh, that he uses. He calls himself Ger v'toshav anochi imachem. I am a ger. Uh, you know, I am an alien. I am not of your people, right? V'toshav, and, and that's a very interesting word. Uh, that means like a, a guest or a temporary resident, right, among you, okay? Now, that, that phrase is used elsewhere, but usually it's used in, in, in laws having to do when aliens and strangers live among the Jewish people, like in uh, Leviticus 25 about, you know, when a person becomes so poor that they um, go into debt to a, to a sojourner. So that phrase, an alien and sojourner, uh, is used of those who are not of Israel. So here the shoe is on the other foot, in a way. Abraham, I, now, now do you notice, do you see there's a, it's an interesting irony here. What is the irony? At the end of chapter 22, God reiterates, this land is yours. I'm giving you this land, right? But during Abraham's life, he never had that promise fulfilled in his life, right? Here, he is speaking to the, he's actually speaking to like the townspeople. He can't even go directly to the person who owns the land when you read it carefully, okay? So he says, uh, to the sons of Heth. He's not talking to the owner. He's talking to like the people at the town square, so to speak, okay? I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. I don't belong to you. Uh, and, and so that means that his, their understanding of Abraham and his understanding of them is this is not my land. Interesting. Uh, give me a burial site. Now, that word give can be translated everything from give to sell to place upon me or transfer to me. It, it can mean a variety of things. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, that's also an interesting... The phrase burial site uh, is another little interesting little tidbit uh, here in, um, in, in Hebrew. Uh, let's see, he calls it... Uh, uh, where is it? Uh, oh, no. In verse... Oh, it's still in verse 4. Yeah. Uh, uh, achuzat uh, kever. Achuzat kever. 
So the first, the kever is the burial. burial. Uh, but achuzat uh, is a very, or achuzat is a very interesting word. And it's used a handful of times, it's used about 10 times, and it means like a possession of land, uh, a possession of land. And you get the idea that what Abraham is saying by, uh, by, uh, um, by using that term, it's usually used like in conjunction with like inheritance, a possession for my inheritance, you know, that he's, he's thinking long term, that Abraham is thinking, I want to buy a piece of land for Sarah, and then I'm no spring chicken myself, and for me, uh, and for my children. Uh, so it's not only for Sarah, but, but it begins with, with, with Sarah. So it's very interesting when he says a burial site, a burial possession among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham and saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. So what we see here is uh, uh, they uh, give Abraham great honor. They, they don't view him as uh, some lowly person uh, traveling through. He's very wealthy. We know that, right? Abraham is very wealthy, and he's a man of renown. He's very well known. Right? So Abraham is showing great humility in, in his uh, conversation with the sons of Heth. And the sons of Heth are showing him great honor as well. Uh, so another thing we learn here is that Abraham is a terrific testimony, one might say, to use the terminology that, that we're used to. He's a terrific testimony uh, of living in a strange place, you know, and having a fine reputation. That is, uh, as we'll see at the end, that certainly is a great lesson uh, for, for us to learn, okay? Uh, uh, let's see. And now he's, so then, uh, the sons of Heth. So the people are saying this, right? Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So they're saying, Abraham, take a plot. Bury your wife. It'll be fine. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, okay? And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me. And now he says, Approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me. So Ephron, the son of Zohar, must have been some big macher uh, uh, living there. First of all, it tells us who his father is. That, that's a telltale sign that this is no just uh, Joe Schmo you know, who uh, happens, to, happens to own some land, all right? And then also, Abraham, notice, cannot or does not go to him directly, but that the sons of Heth must go to him as like a mediator, okay? Abraham has, so to speak, uh, gotten the uh, consensus of, uh, of, of, the, of the sons of Heth. I guess it's going to be okay for me to bury my dead here, you know? Okay, now this is what I want you to do. Please approach Zephron, because I want to buy a piece of land. Okay. Uh, right. that, uh, so you have here, approach, yes, approach uh, Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelet, which he owns, which is at the end of his field, for the full price, or the full silver. Let him, it's really, sell it to me. 
I mean, uh, the translation that I have is telling me, you know, natan, okay, it means give. But, but here, uh, it is referring to selling it to him, okay? Let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. So he wants witnesses. Uh, he wants uh, for the full price to buy this site of land, okay? Uh, now, Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite... Uh, but now, the Hittite. Okay, so what it tells us is, is that in Canaan, you had all kinds of people. You had all kinds of people that, that owned a piece of the rock, right? Uh, and, but Abraham, the Hebrew, did not own uh, a land. Did not own land. He had a well, but that was probably a little farther over, uh, a little farther west, closer to Gaza, see? Uh, but here, in uh, Canaan, he owned no land. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people. The text goes out of its way to tell us that there's witnesses, that, that this is in front of a bunch of people. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead here. He is, Abraham is insisting that he pay for it. Okay. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Now, one thing we're not quite sure of, it depends who you read is the problem with this one. It requires a little bit more study. Is Was 400 shekels of silver a lot? Or was four, like exorbitant? Or was it inexpensive? Or was it the going, just simply the going rate? Well, the text actually tells us it was the going rate. Okay. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard, which you say, what kind of Hebrew word would that be? <laughs> you know, and basically what it means is like a merchant's according to merchants uh, or the merchant's rate. What this is what normally people sell for. It's how that's interpreted. That's how you get commercial standard. <laughs> okay? And it's a word that has, uh, it has similarities uh, to other words in other languages, uh, you know, of that era in contracts. So that's how you know. When a word is kind of odd, you look to see, does it have, um, you know, uh, words that are related to it in other languages? And this one does. So Ephron, now, so that's really the end of the, uh, up to verse 16, that's kind of like the end of the, the story, that uh, Abraham buys uh, uh, this cave, this field with the cave in it, okay? Uh, and then verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, it's kind of like it describes the contract. So in verse 17, it says, so Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre. Now, Mamre was probably 
like uh, the name of uh, the name of an ancient family, which became like the name of a section of this area, like a quarter, you might say, uh, uh, in the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So, Abraham, so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. So, I, uh, like many, many sections of the Torah, when you come to the end, and it says in verse 20, so... So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. That verse kind of tells us that that's the point we want to get. We want to make sure we get the point that the land, this field, uh, and the cave are deeded over to Abraham. Abraham owns it. And this is going to be the burial site, ultimately, as we know, for not only Sarah, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and, uh, and Leah, as well as uh, Sarah. Uh, and, uh, and this is uh, in uh, Hebron, as we know it today. Uh, you know, something that's just kind of interesting about this piece of land, uh, in history, uh, of course, Hebron is a very important place. It's the first capital, David's first capital. Before Jerusalem is the capital, Hebron is the capital. It could be because of the importance of this site, of the, of the cave, of, of Machpelah. In history, uh, it, was, uh, it became a Christian site and, uh, in the early centuries uh, A.D., and then a church was built on it, uh, or near it, right next to it. Then, of course, as you know in history, the, the Muslims overtook the Christians, and then it became a mosque. What, was, what, they, what was the church became a mosque uh, there, and uh, it stayed that way, and no Jews or Christians for 700 years were allowed to go to the site until the week of June 6th, 1967. <clears throat> uh, and uh, as a result of uh, that's and so they had the creation of the West Bank <laughs> territories and all of that, right? Uh, and, uh, but since 1967, Jews, Christians, and Muslims certainly can visit the site. Although Hebron is a Palestinian city. And uh, so that's a whole other story. But uh, it's there, you know, it's still there. Now, we don't know exactly, you know, where uh, they built the church. You know, that's like everywhere in Israel. You know what I mean? Where they built the church does not necessarily mean that that's where the cave is, all right? Uh, so what we would say is we may not know where exactly where the, it's, where the cave is to, today, thousands of, you know, 5,000 years later, okay? But we know it's right around there, <laughs> okay? You know, it's, it's, right around, it's right around that site. And, uh, and there you go. Because Hebron is Hebron, the ancient city, and, and so it's, it's all there. All right. Uh, and so what we learn here, we learn a number of things. One is Abraham owns a piece of the rock. Abraham does own a piece of Eretz Yisrael. And the text is 
goes way out of its way to describe the negotiations. The entire chapter could have been, you know, after, after it says, uh, uh, when it says, And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hephron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth uh, and bought a piece of land and, and bought a, uh, a cave, you know. But it tells us the whole story so that we would understand that Abraham was indeed an alien and a sojourner, right? And that he actually had to buy it. God did not just give him uh, Hebron. He, God did not say, here, I promised you the land to bury your dead, right? But he had to actually buy, uh, buy the land. So one of the things we learn here is that in Abraham's life, he did not, he was not the recipient, the personal recipient of the promises that were made to him, okay? He was in part, yes, Isaac was born to him. Yes, he lived, he was, you know, he was a wealthy man. He was a man of great renown and all of that. Uh, but as he says himself, I am an alien and sojourner among you. See? So that's very important for us to understand because certainly, uh, you know, in our own lives, uh, uh, God certainly makes uh, promises that we take personally, uh, but we may not see the end result of those promises. Uh, and in fact, in our lives, we may pray about a variety of different things, and we may not see it come to pass. Did Abraham have the attitude of, well, God has failed me? Where is it? Well, how come I don't own all the whole land? He said, it's mine, right? No, Abraham died in hope. We read that certainly in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Right? We kind of come back to that in Abraham's life a number of different times. That Abraham died with a living hope. See, uh, And in our, so in our own lives, we may not see uh, the, the end. There, there are people... Uh, that, that, uh, that say, uh, I'm sure that I won't die until the Lord returns, right? I, I mean, I know people that have said that. And sadly, I have also officiated at their funerals. Literally, true, true statement. Uh, and, uh, but they died in hope. They, they were not full of folly, okay? They died in hope. Their faith was not lost, even though we're all still here awaiting it reminds me very much of a passage in the Brit Chadashah in 1 Peter. Okay? Isn't it amazing? We can go all the way from the 23rd chapter of Genesis to 1 Peter chapter 1, where we read in verse 3. Oh, I would love to tell you all about verses 1 and 2, but I won't. In verse 3, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born from above. Born from above. Hmm. It has something to do maybe with John 3, which has something to do with Ezekiel 36. And notice it says in verse 2 something about sprinkling. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Okay, enough, Howard. All right. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born from above to a living hope, to the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been, uh, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is, a, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Messiah. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. A great uh, uh, title of a book written by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones many, many years ago. Joy unspeakable, joy inexpressible, and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation for your souls. So his point is here, Peter's point is, you have a living hope. You have been born from above for to a living hope. Very important, living in hope, right? Living is we're experiencing that hope uh, now, okay, for the future. And we, like Peter's recipients of this letter, we don't see him, but we believe and, and we trust, you see, because we know that Yeshua has been risen from uh, the, uh, the, the dead. And so, kind of like Abraham, you know, God has uh, made tremendous promises, but we are aliens and sojourners living in this world, right? I, I, we, we, uh, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, but we're living in the middle of the domain and darkness, right, in our lives uh, right now. You know, we don't uh, possess this world. I don't see a new heaven and a new earth yet. So if I die before that happens, does that mean, oh, well, I guess it isn't true? No. But just like Abraham served a very important role in the unfolding of God's salvation history, so we all play a very important role in the outworking of God's history. And so by the fact that we walk in faithfulness in the Lord, we are making a difference whether we see it or not, in this world. What difference, in Abraham's life, think about this, in Abraham's very life, what difference did he see his life really making? I mean, he, he wasn't affecting people in Egypt or affecting people in the, you know, uh, in the Asiatic lands. Uh, he wasn't affecting the Hittites or the Canaanites. He was buying a burial place for his family. But when we read it now, we see, wow, what a profound event. And so remember that. If you see that you're spinning your wheels, you think you're spinning your, you're a believer, but you're spinning your wheels. I'm not making a big worldwide difference anywhere. You know, maybe I've never led someone to Messiah. Or um, maybe I don't seem to have those experiences that, that people talk about. You know, all that kind of thing. Don't let other people tell you what it means to be significant before the Lord. Abraham, in his life, in just what we read about him here, these are insignificant events, but place the big picture of what God is doing. They're profound. And so the one thing that we lack is that perspective. We can't see. We can't see the whole thing of what God is doing and exactly where we play this role in the big picture. But we know that we have this living hope and that we indeed do make a difference, very much like the life of, uh, the life of uh, Abraham. 
Okay. Uh, just a couple of quick other little things here uh, that I wanted to say, and it'll be fine. And uh, that is this. I, uh, just, uh, just in closing, the, uh, again, the importance, uh, going back to what this is about, what this chapter is about, about Abraham burying his family and about how important that is. You know, in, uh, in, in chapter 22, uh, it's really the, the, the apex of Abraham's life of faith, you know, bringing Isaac up the mountain. And there's two things that are left that, Abraham, that happens in Abraham's life. One is, one has to do uh, with uh, memorializing his, um, his uh, uh, family, the issue of mortality. And the other one is posterity. Isn't that interesting? Mortality and, and posterity. Mortality, dealing with the fact that death is coming. Even though Abraham had been given this promise, he deals with death. The second thing is getting Isaac a wife. And that's the next chapter. Getting Isaac a wife. Posterity. So these real life issues. Uh, mortality, he deals with death here in chapter 23. And posterity in uh, chapter 24. So just this last thing about Abraham dealing with death. Uh, let us... I uh, um, uh, recognize and appreciate the importance of what happens when we die. In t not in terms of our in eternal destiny, yes, with the Lord, but how we love our loved ones who die. You know, in, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish tradition, there, there's a number of, of things that you may be aware of or, or maybe uh, you're not. Uh, there is, um, in every community... Uh, there is a person uh, or a group of people who are called the Chevra Kadisha, which is really friends of holiness. <laughs> An interesting name, Chevra Kadisha, and these are the people that sit with a body at a funeral home because the body is never to be left by itself. It's actually called the the uh, the actual work of it is called Shemira, guarding, Shemira, uh, and uh, and the, the person who has died is not to be left alone the whole time. And then, you know, if you've attended uh, some uh, Beth Messiah recent uh, funerals, there's the issue of the dirt and throwing the dirt into the hole, right? And uh, the reason we do that uh, for, is taking upon ourselves, like Abraham, the responsibility of burying our loved ones, ourself. It's like a priestly work. It's a holy work to bury your loved ones. It's not, the, it's not this um, how grotesque and evil and hard. No, it's like this, this blessing, honor. And it is the last thing that we can do for a loved one. The last, when a loved one is done, we can't give them anything. We can't say an, another word to them, but we can honor them in this way. That's part of Jewish tradition. And, and certainly many cultures have different burial rites and traditions. Uh, and it is uh, very important to appreciate all of that and uh, to uh, recognize that, yes, uh, as Abraham, uh, uh, as Abraham uh, experienced, even with the promise, death comes. Death comes. But, you know, in Isaiah chapter 25, we have a great promise to us. And that promise is this. He will swallow up death for all time. 
And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And so even though Abraham died and Sarah died, and so did all the other patriarchs, and we have yet to see the complete fruition of the promise that God made, we know that his promise is true and that the day is indeed coming when there will be, literally, no more weeping and no more death. And that is indeed the hope that we live on uh, today. For that inheritance is imperishable. Nothing can take away from it. And that is indeed the great hope that we have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God. As we see uh, Abraham as, in a way, a role model for us of handling death, the death of his wife, the death, the death of his wife, who gave him uh, 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 Ishmael as well as uh, Isaac. Lord, the death of his wife, to whom you made a great promise to. Lord, uh, thank you, God, that, that Sarah uh, and Abraham, uh, in, their, in, in their death, still held the promise. Lord, uh, and we have that promise as well. But now we have the great assurance in the resurrection of the Messiah and the forgiveness of our sins. Even more so, the, the promise, Lord, uh, of uh, the Olam Haba. And we thank you for that in Messiah's name.